Amen. I, I want to start off with a devotional thought this morning. We read the following in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Are you kidding me? And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Brothers and sisters, this is how our story ends, right? And it's a good ending. And listen, knowing this, knowing, knowing our ultimate future, knowing our ultimate forever is intended to make a difference in how we approach, how we live out, how, how we handle and view our present lives. Get it? Good. Yeah, yeah, knowing how something ends makes all the difference in the world. Uh, this past week I experienced an example of knowing of how knowing the ending of something affects the way you view things and handle setbacks that happen along the way. Now, last Sunday night, a couple hundred million people watched Super Bowl 51. I was one of them. And I got to admit, the, hey, there's a good illustration. Hang with me. Hang with me, you haters. Okay. But I got to admit that the first 38 minutes was brutal for me as a diehard Patriots fan. 21 to 3 at halftime, 28 to 3 midway through the third quarter. We had students over where their moms are texting back, is Steve crying yet? You know, and, and I'm just like, I should not have had anybody over here because I want to cry, I want to throw something, but I'm a pastor, you can't do that. And, and, and I just said, you know what? For me, at that point, I said, you know, my favorite part of the game was Lady Gaga's halftime show. It's like, you know, could she just gone for two more hours? You know, I'd been okay with that. But as we all know, things turned out, and the Patriots actually won the game. And this week, I taped the replay of the game, that 60-minute version, and I watched it more than once. And you know what? The fumble that turned into seven points, uh, Brady's interception that turned into seven points again, the Falcons trash-talking and being extremely cocky on the sidelines, none of it bothered me at all. Why? Because I knew how the game ended. And brothers and sisters, so do we as Jesus followers. Yeah, we will take some hits along the way. And at times we'll be knocked down to the ground by life's 310-pound linemen, body hurting, out of breath, on our back, looking up at a scoreboard that is saying, it is all over for us, game over. But understand, in Christ, it is not over. And bottom line, as I was watching the replay, enjoying every minute, even the bad times, I heard God say to me, Steve, this is how I want you to live your life, with freedom and confidence, because you know how this ends. You know how your story ends. Steve, you know what the final scoreboard will read. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more pain, and God living with you in a real and tangible way. And sure, you're going to take some hits, brothers and sisters, right? You're going to call some wrong plays. You're going to drop and fumble the ball. And your enemy's never going to stop pressuring you. But in the end, we win. 
In the end, we win, and God wants us to live in that same kind of freedom. Amen? He really does. Forgive the illustration, but it was powerful. Today is the seventh Sunday of the year 2017, and week three of our series, Getting Better at What Jesus Said Matters Most. And I want to start off with some powerful and familiar words penned by Baal and breathed by God 2,000 years ago about the importance and definition of God's kind of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have to get the prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. May God bless the reading of his word. And would you guys pray with me? Father God, we humbly come into your presence and we are blown away. God, that you would love us. You would love us so much. That you would care about us so much. That you would send your son to die for us. And God, I pray that your love really will change everything. And God, I pray that your love for us will be enough. Will be enough. God, that if we have your love, then we have so much more than we could ever possibly imagine. And God, I pray that you would somehow enable me this morning to, to speak in a way that will bring you honor and glory and help us to get better at loving ourselves as you commanded. In Jesus' name, amen. 2,000 years ago, during the final week of Jesus' life, just days before his arrest, his beating, crucifixion, Jesus was asked a question by a religious leader. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And Matthew adds, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Brothers and sisters, what would happen? What would your life look like if you actually got better at loving God and loving others and loving yourself? I mean, would it make a difference in how you live? Would it make a difference in your inner being? And would people... Uh, would your spouse, would your kids, would your parents, would your family members, would your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, other believers, would they notice a difference? Uh, would your world feel its impact? And would you finally begin walking in the newness and fullness of life that Jesus promised? And, and listen, it, if you don't get better at what Jesus says matters most, then what's the point, right? What's the point? I mean, so what? So what if we get better at other things, right? If we do not get better at the thing that Jesus says is the most important. And, and one truth that I've been trying to drive home uh, the last few weeks is this, that before you and I will ever really get better at loving God as we should and loving others as God intended, you first must love yourself. Maple Grove, the truth is far too many people don't. 
Far too many people do not love themselves. And the evidence is pretty convincing. Number one, self-hatred, depression, insecurity, and low self-esteem are pretty much at epidemic levels both inside and outside the church. And number two, most Jesus followers are not doing so good. Loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbors as God intends. Yes, something is definitely wrong in his church and among his people. I'm calling this morning's conversation, Love What God Loves, You. And in this conversation, we're going to wrap up the middle and that often missing commandment for you to love yourself. And understand, there's so much more we could talk about in regards to the subject of you getting better at loving yourself. But we need to move on to the first part of the great commandment, getting better at loving God. And so next week, we'll kick that off by unpacking a conversation I'm calling a God worthy of your love. But listen, even though we're moving forward from this command to love yourself, I, I want you to know that how you feel about you that your emotional health matters to me. It matters to me, and it matters to God. So we'll, we will visit this topic again, guaranteed. Because I, I've become convinced recently that it is impossible, it is impossible to become spiritually mature if we are not emotionally healthy. It is impossible for us to become spiritually mature if we are not emotionally healthy. Now, there's a couple books I, I like to recommend to you that will help you continue in this journey to become the person God created you to be, to, for you to become a little bit you-ier, right? And there's four books. I read each one. They're incredible books. Uh, the first one here is by Peter uh, Scazzaro, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You know, we can't change when we are unaware. Great book. Uh, an another book I'd recommend would be this one right here, um, the Missing Commandment, A Love Yourself by Jerry and Denise Bissell. Here's another book, um, Me, The Me I Want to Be. It's a great book. I'm getting ready to read it again with a, with a friend of mine so we can continue in our journey and growth together. And, and a, a fourth book would be Waking the Dead. Waking the Dead. Not the walking dead that's coming back tonight that we're, some of us are looking forward to, but, but Waking the Dead, right? A incredible book. All these books have truth that will impact your life. Now, here's how I, I want to attack our conversation this morning. I, I, want to, I want to talk about six keys or principles for helping us get better at loving ourselves. Six things that if you will do them, will enable you to love what God loves and God loves you. Now, the first two keys are review from the previous two weeks, so you already know them. But Jesus said that knowing's not enough, right? Yeah, knowing's good. Knowing's good but it's not good enough. In John 13, 17, he said, now that you know these things, bought the t-shirt, got the bumper sticker and the coffee mug, right? Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if what? If you, if you do them, if you apply them. And now if you miss any of these previous two conversations, I really want to encourage you to listen online because this getting better thing, according to Jesus, is like, it's like a huge deal. All right, let's do this. Six keys for getting better at loving you. Number one, to love yourself, you must plunge the depths of the Father's love. We love because He first loved us. So have you, have you done any plunging, you know, the last two weeks? I mean, come on in. The water's fine, right? Come on in. 
Maple Grove, I I have some awesome, incredible, mind-blowing news for you. The exact news you need to hear, and may it never get old to you. The Father's love for you is a love beyond all reason. It is unconditional. It does not make sense. It does not diminish when you mess up, and it does not get higher when you do good. It's unconditional. The Father's love for you is a love that delights in you. You have no idea how much joy you bring to the heart of God. The Father's love for you is a love that is for you, and it's a love that pays attention to you. Other people may ignore you and not notice you, but you are the apple of the King of Kings' eye. Amen? The Father's love is a love that constantly pursues you and will never give up on you, never. You know, a couple of Friday mornings ago, I was having breakfast with my band of brothers, and as we chowed down on some bacon, eggs, sausage, and the rest, and some alive and active word, uh, we're talking about all, all the love songs that are out there, right? Tons of them. And, and I mentioned, you know, how crazy it is that God would actually sing those songs to us. I mean, uh, imagine God singing to you, I just called to say, I love you, and I love you from the bottom of my heart. I love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a love like that, you know you should be glad. I can't stop loving you. And I will always love you. Can you feel the love tonight? It is where we are. How deep is my love? How deep is my love? You really need to learn. And my favorite one, I don't want to close my eyes because I miss you, Steve. (laughs) And I don't want to miss a thing. Silly, out of tune, right? But it's true. That's how God feels about me. That's how he feels about you. Maple Grove, it's time for you to stop questioning God's unconditional love and begin to really accept it as your own. It's time for you to let your roots go down deep. Let your spirit, your soul, your meaning, your purpose go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love for you. It's time for you as Brennan Manning writes to define yourself radically as one beloved by God. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Next, love yourself. You must push through insecurity. How? Number one, by resisting and replacing the lies of the enemy with God's truth. Understand, we need to resist. You need to resist lies like, I'm a mistake. I'm a burden. I'm worthless. I'm the problem. I'm inadequate and deficient. It was all my fault. I always mess up everything. I'll never measure up or be good enough. I don't belong. If people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Listen, you need to resist lies like that and then replace them with God's truth. I'm loved. I'm worthy. I'm wanted. I'm accepted. I'm significant. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm God's treasure and masterpiece. I'm the apple of God's eye. I'm God's son. God loves me. God adopted me. I am his. And and listen, I I, I really want to encourage you to allow God to to etch uh, these two uh, phrases on your heart penned by uh, John Eldridge, which I think these, these two phrases are anointed by God. You are not what you think you are. There is a glory to your life that the enemy fears, and he's hell-bent on destroying that glory before you act on it. 
And then the next one, the story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows who you could be and fears it. Resist and replace. Uh, We also push through insecurity by refusing to drink the deadly toxin of comparison. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're dumb, they're stupid. Uh, Understand this toxin comparison, it is so very deadly, and yet it's so hard to stay away from. In fact, I began to drink some of it just this week, like on Tuesday. I mean, God had the safety locks on the cabinet, right? But I I busted through and started drinking some of that junk. I I was on Facebook looking through my news feed. I saw a friend of mine who was doing some cool stuff that I had never done. And next thing you know, this deadly toxin is going down down my throat, into my spirit. And I'm starting to feel pretty bad about me. Then God said, stop it, dude. (laughs) You just talked about this two days ago. So I stopped. And went to the word, and all was good. God did not create you to live somebody else's life. He created you to be you. So don't try to become someone that you're not. I like what uh, Peter Cazar writes in his book. The vast majority of us go to the grave without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectation of us. This does violence to ourselves and our relationship with God and ultimately to others. The vast majority of us go to the grave without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectation of us. This does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. Understand, true freedom comes when we no longer need to be somebody special in the eyes of other people because we know that we are lovable and good enough because we are God's child. Another way we push through insecurity is by seeing ourselves. Another way you push through insecurity is by seeing yourself through the undistorted photoshopping lens of the Father. And to do that, you will have to constantly refuse to pick up and see yourself through the three false identities that our enemy of the world will constantly get you to see yourself through. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people think. Question, which of these false identities do you struggle with the most? John Bazell writes, Jerry Bazell writes in his book, Love Yourself, one of those books on the table there, uh, God desires to hear our self-hatred, self-condemnation, self-contempt, and negative self-talk. When we come into agreement with who the Father says we are as his beloved children, and when we're able to love ourselves the way he loves us, we also become better able to trust his heart and to love others in return. Third, to love yourself, you must accept that loving yourself is essential, not selfish. It's essential, not selfish. You know, one of the reasons why this commandment from Jesus for you to love yourself is so often overlooked or ignored is because on the surface it seems kind of selfish, right? To be so focused on you. After all, we're told time and time again in scriptures that we're supposed to deny ourselves, right? Lay down ourselves. uh, To put the needs of others before ourselves. However, the truth is many people, especially non-Christians, would argue that the commandment that is in fact missing from the lives of those who claim to follow Jesus is, is loving others. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of truth to that statement that most of us would care to admit. 
But if that's so, then, then what's the answer? Do we simply decide to love and serve more? Do we need to hear another sermon on loving, serving, and giving, and then we'll finally understand, be able to step out and do those things more? Or do we immerse ourselves in what the Scriptures say about dying to self and loving our neighbor and then just start, start applying what we read? No, because trying harder never, ever works. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to minimize the, the, the importance of, of translating our faith into action. And I'm not saying that there's only one explanation why so many of God's people are not doing so good at, at loving other people as God intends. But what I am saying is that our ability to love ourselves has a great impact on how we love other people. Bottom line, if learning to love yourself better ultimately enables you to love others better, then the result is definitely not selfish. If you learning how to love yourself better helps you love other people better, then the result is definitely not selfish. Get it? Good. In Waking the Dead, John Eldridge says it this way. Caring for your own heart isn't selfishness. It's how we begin to love. Yes, we care for our hearts for the sake of others. Does that sound like a contradiction? Not at all. What will you bring to others if your heart is empty, dried up, pinned down? Love is a point. And you can't love without your heart, and you can't love well unless your heart is well. How you handle your own heart is how you'll handle the heart of others. If you dismiss your heart, you'll end up dismissing the heart of others. If you expect perfection from your heart, you'll raise that same standard for them. If you manage your heart for efficiency and performance, that is what you'll pressure them to be. End quote. I understand what Eldritch is saying is that a lack of love for itself, for ourselves will eventually manifest itself and how we treat other people. In fact, if we do not love ourselves, we actually become more selfish. If we don't love ourselves, we actually become more selfish in our relationships with and to other people. See, here's what happens. Yes, we perform our so-called actions of love, but the truth is they simply become a means to get our own needs met. Needs of acceptance, security, love, and approval. And so consciously or Often unconsciously, we, we interact with people not because we love so deeply, but because we need something from them in return. In other words, our love is conditional, right? We want something back. Our, our, our love is selfish. I mean, when we peel back the layers, we, we find that, that we are actually loving to get, not to unselfishly give. And listen, when people who are, who are in a relationship are both loving selfishly to get, Rather than unselfishly to give, things can get pretty what? Pretty messy, right? Pretty messy in a hurry. But thank God there's a road out of this unhealthy, selfish place. And I know it's crazy, and I know it seems illogical, but the way out is for you to love yourself as God loves you. Because then you're finally free to love unselfishly and to give to them because you're not loving them to get something back. I hope that makes sense. See, the bottom line, guys, is, is I want you to become very serious about Jesus' command for you to get better at loving yourself. 
Because it's essential. It's not selfish. And, and listen, the, the crazy, undeniable reality is, it's only when we love ourselves as God intends that we actually have a self that we can lay down and deny. See, it's only when we, we actually love ourselves as God intends that we actually have a self that we can lay down and deny. Get it? Good. This is good stuff. Maybe uncomfortable sometimes. If you've been uncomfortable already, uh, put on your uncomfortable shoes, right? Um, fourth, to love yourself, uh, you must go back in order to move forward. A question, have you ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting? Uh, well, there's a scene in the movie that is a powerful illustration of the need at times for us to go back that, that we can move forward. Now, I think it's amazing how, how God can use a movie that has some pretty bad language at times to, to, to present an incredibly powerful truth. In the scene, the psychologist, Sean, played by Robin Williams, is talking to a young adult, Will, played by Matt Damon, who Sean has been counseling because Will has some serious anger issues. Now, Will was physically abused as a child, rejected by his father, and was heading down a wrong path. The psychologist befriends him, which is not an easy thing to do. You see, Will has learned not to trust anyone. Yet, although his personal walls are like a fortress, somehow the psychologist gets in. And here's an excerpt from the scene in the office where the two men are talking about their experience with physical abuse. Again, Sean, that's Robin Williams, right? Sean, my dad used to make us walk down to the park and collect the sticks he was going to beat us with. Actually, the worst beatings were between me and my brother. We would practice on each other, trying to find sticks that would break. Will, my dad used to just put a belt, a stick, and a wrench on the kitchen table and say, choose. I used to go with the wrench. Sean, I, I don't know a lot, Will, but let me tell you one thing. All this history, and he points to this file on the desk, Look at me. This is not your fault. Will nonchalantly. Yeah, I know. Sean, it's not your fault. Will jokingly. Yeah, I know. Sean, seriously. It's not your fault. Will, don't mess with me, man. Now Sean's directly in his face. It's not your fault. Will, I know. I know. Then his heart breaks. And he loses it. And then Sean takes Will in his arms and holds him like a child, and Will sobs like a baby after a moment he begins to hold Sean tighter and tighter. You see, Will needed to go back in order to move forward. And many of us need to make the same journey. And yeah, I know that, that in Christ we're a new creation, and I know, that, I know that we're being created anew in Him to do all the good things He planned for us long ago. But, but, but here's the deal. Most of us, have never really taken the time to examine the scripts handed to us by our past and then try to see how it is still impacting our today. I mean, our past is handing us this script, right? And we don't take the time to figure, hey, what's going on here? I understand, looking to our past can and often does illuminate our present. Oh, that's why I do that. Oh, that's why I feel like that. That's why I respond to pain and hurt that way. Yet looking to the past can illuminate our present. But make no mistake about it, like with Will, it can be pretty painful. In fact, I was meeting with a friend just this week, one of my ones, and we were talking about this very thing, how what happened in her past, in her home growing up, 
the things done to us, the things said about us, and what happened in other relationships and circumstances along the way had actually had an impact on where we were today. How, they, how our past sometimes can create baggage that we carry with us, baggage that we don't even know is there sometimes. You see, it's in going back that we begin to see how we were, sh- how we were shaped by, going back we see how we were shaped by things that should not have happened to us but did. And things that should have happened but did not. And listen, a child does not have the maturity or mental discernment to say, man, what is wrong with this environment I'm growing up in? No, they don't, they don't have, what do they say? What is wrong with what? What's wrong with me? It's my fault that all this is going on. Result, they grow up feeling inadequate, flawed, defective, angry. Now, understand, it's in, the, it's in this journey back where God, where God shows us the things in our lives that do align with his perfect plan. Man, that's good. I'm glad that happened. That's amazing. But it's also in our journey back where God can heal us from things that were not part of his plan. Man, I wish that didn't happen. I'm so broken that that happened to you. I'm so sad that you missed out on that. Now, one way to visualize this process is think about a a set of railroad tracks that symbolize the path that God intended for us from the point we were placed on this earth. And and the set of tracks designed by God represents his perfect will for our lives. However, as we start out our lives and journey from that beginning point, we often, because of things done or not done to us, because of our own choices, begin to travel on a different set of tracks, which are not the ones that God intended. And and when we come to a place where we realize that we're on the wrong set of tracks, we have only one good choice to make. Stop, turn around, and allow God to take us back where we can find the healing we need along the way. And now many would simply prefer, hey, you know what? I'm a new creation. I don't need to go back. Nothing impacted me. I'll just hop on over to the other track. All is good. But listen, so many times and for so many people, that is impossible. So God asks us to trust him. And allow him to show us the areas of wounding in our hearts so we can forgive others, so we can receive forgiveness for our own hurtful responses and allow God to bring about true healing and restoration. Now, I know some of us would think, hey, you know what? My family wasn't perfect growing up, but hey, it's not impacting me today. Right? It's really no big deal. It didn't really bother me. And I was one of those people to this question I read in the book, Love Yourself. It's a question they ask the people they're counseling. Would it be okay with you if your son or daughter grew up in your place, in your home of origin? Now, you could be a fly on the wall and watch, but you couldn't intervene in any way. You could only observe. Your son and daughter would grow up in exactly the same circumstances as you, getting the same treatment from your parents, siblings, grandparents, family members, and family friends. And they say, question, would that be okay for you? If yes, praise God. If no, why not? You know what my answer would be? No way. I wouldn't want them to. I love my mom and dad. But I, I would not want my, my kids to grow up in a home where the dad would never, while growing up, say, I love you, never have a meaningful conversation. You know, some way, maybe that did have an impact on me. I understand, like will and goodwill hunting, some of us need to go back. And, and we need to hear such things as, it was not your fault. 
you were not and are not unlovable. You are good enough. You're not a mistake. You can make something of your life. You are okay just as you are. You don't have to be like anybody else to matter. Who you are right now is a very good thing, and it's a very good thing that you exist. And listen, in regards to this journey of going back, you know, you know, sometimes you and God can do it alone, right? And work through those things. Awesome. Sometimes you may need a friend or a mentor. Hey, I, I want to I deal with this stuff and move forward. Or you may need to actually even talk to a counselor. There's no shame in talking to a counselor. I've done it before, right? And you deal with these things, right? And you know what you're going to find? When you go back and look at these things, guys, grab that picture, the, the big hug out, right? You know, the big bear hug that we see between Will and Sean. When you go back, God's going to be there the whole time, right? Loving you. Always loved you. Never stopped loving you. I was always there for you. And I will always be there for you. Amen? Next, to love yourself, you must use 1 Corinthians 13 as a template for loving yourself. We read 1 Corinthians 13 as, as, as I began the message, where Paul talks about the extreme importance of love. And I'm sure that you've used it as a template to measure how well you love other people. Love is patient, love is kind, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah, I need some work too, right? You know? And maybe you use it as a template to, uh, the, 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 as how God loves you, right? God is patient with me. God is kind towards me. Praise God, he doesn't keep a, a record of my wrongs, right? I've done both. However, I, until recently, I've never used those words as a template for how I'm supposed to be loving me. And you know what? I think we should. After all, it's God who commanded us to love ourselves, and it's God who gave us this classic definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. So, so go ahead and, and grab out that, that classic definition of love from Paul and just ask yourself you know, these questions. Do I love myself? Am I patient, gentle, and kind to myself? Am I slow to get angry with myself? Do I easily let go of my mistakes and failures? Do I continually doubt or shame or berate or condemn myself? Do I always believe in and never give up on myself? Do I rejoice in the truth about myself? I, I, I believe God brought you here this morning to tell you, stop being so hard on yourself. Stop being your own worst critic. Stop weighing yourself every day using defective measures, by the way. Stop weighing yourself every day and find yourself coming up wanting. And start loving yourself in the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of way. Get it? Good. Now, I'm not saying that, that we ignore and not deal with sin issues in our life because God said that love does not, love does not uh, take pleasure in evil. I'm just saying that if God commands you to love yourself, and he did, and if God gave a, a definition of love and how we're to love, and he did, then we should use that as a template for getting better at loving yourself. And finally, to love yourself, you must let God's approval become your validation. Understand, when our identity is based on shame and lies, rather than centered on the truth of who God made us to be, 
We will often struggle with the need to be validated. When our identity is based on shame and lies rather than centered on the truth of who God made us to be, we will often struggle with the need for validation, constantly needing the approval and affirmation of others to feel okay about who we are. You know, recently I, I went to UVA Hospital to visit somebody, and when I drove into the parking garage, pushed the button, and got out my little pink ticket. And I made sure I took that pink ticket inside because I wanted that sucker what? I wanted that sucker validated, right? Because that validated ticket meant that I was already approved and I was free to go, that I had no payment that I needed to make. And you know what? That, that is a, a great illustration of what God wants to do and what God has done for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are already approved and accepted. So let that become your validation. Listen, you, you don't need to take your ticket anymore and beg people to validate you. Mom, dad, children, parents, coworkers, would someone please validate my ticket and approve and accept me? You don't need to do that. Because you have been approved and validated by the one who matters most. You've been approved, validated, and accepted by the one who matters most. Get it? Good. Paul writes, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Just as Christ has accepted you. Christ has accepted you. Christ has accepted you. You're validated by him. If somebody don't want to stamp your ticket, that's their issue, right? Man, God, God's done stamp my ticket. If you want to, you want to wave at me, you know, give, that's cool, but God has stamped my ticket. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I, I, I want to wrap up by reading something called the Father's Love Letter. It came from one of those books, uh, Love Yourself. It's a list of books in your outline. And what the authors did is they, they uh, personalized something some guy wrote. I can't remember who. But, um, and this thing has been translated into like 90 different languages. What it is, it's personalized. Like it's, a, it's a letter where you're affirming what God says about you. All right? I, I'm going to read it. Yeah, everything's backed up by Scripture. And in a foyer, yeah, I printed out copies for you. You know, so like you can like take it home and think about it. And if there's some areas there you're struggling with really believing, you can ask God, hey, I'm really not really believing this right here. Could you help me accept your truth? Okay. So I'm going to read it for me. You know, and, and you read it along for you. It'll pop up on the screen. I may not have always known you, but you have known everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You're familiar with all my ways. Even the very hairs of my head are numbered. I was made in your image. And in you I live and move and have my being. For I am your offspring. You knew me even before I was conceived. You chose me when you planned creation. I'm not a mistake. For all my days are written in your book. You determine the exact time of my birth and where I should live. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And brought me forth on the day I was born. You have been misrepresented by those who don't know you. You are not distant and angry, but are the complete expression of love. 
It is your desire to lavish your love on me simply because I am your child and you are my father. You offer me more than my earthly father ever could for you are the perfect father. Every good gift that I receive comes from your hand for you are my provider and you meet all my needs. Your plan for my future has always been filled with hope because you love me with an everlasting love. Your thoughts toward me are as countless as the sand on the seashore and you rejoice over me with singing. You will never stop doing good to me for I am your treasured possession. You desire to establish me with all your heart and all your soul and you want to show me great and marvelous things. If I seek you with all my heart, I will find you. As I delight in you, you will give me the desires of my heart for it is you who gave me those desires. You're able to do more for me than I could possibly imagine for you are my greatest encourager. You're also a father who comforts me in all my troubles. When I'm brokenhearted, you are close to me. As a shepherd carries a lamb, you've carried me close to your heart. One day you will wipe away every tear from my eyes and you will take away all the pain I suffered on this earth. You're my father. And you love me even as you love your son, Jesus. For in Jesus, your love for me is revealed. He is exact representation of your being. Jesus came to demonstrate that you are for me, not against me, and to tell me that you're not counting my sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of your love for me. Father, you gave up everything you love that you might gain my love. If I receive the gift of your son, I receive you, and nothing will ever separate me from your love again. When I come home, you'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. You've always been father and will always be father. Your question to me is, will you be my child? You are waiting for me. Love the blank. Love, you put your name in. Love, Steve. Getting better at what Jesus said matters most. Getting better at loving yourself. And to do that, you got to plunge the depth of God's love for you. You got to push through insecurity. You got to see loving yourself as essential, right? As a big deal, right? And it's not a selfish thing. And you may need to go back. Some of you maybe already have. You need to go back in order to go forward. And you need to begin using 1 Corinthians 13 as a template for how you need to love yourself. You need to be more patient with yourself, right? Give yourself a stinking break, right? You know, anybody here their own worst critic? Oh my goodness. Man, God's not nearly as hard on you as you are, right? Give yourself a stinking break. He loves you, right? He cares about you, right? He wants to forgive you of your wrongs, right? And then you need to accept that you've been val- if you've been validated by God, man, what more do you need, right? You've been validated by the creator of the universe. You don't need any other validation whatsoever. Let God's approval be your validation. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for this time we can be in your presence. And God, it's really hard to understand, let alone accept, this love you have for us. And God, you tell us to love ourselves. And Holy Spirit, you know each of us. We may be able to put up masks, even to those closest to us, but you know, Holy Spirit, what's really going inside. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just speak to us right now. And you'll help everybody in this room to know how much they're loved by the Father. And Lord, that you will help us to love ourselves, that we are, 
that it is your love for us and choice of us that constitute our worth. And God, this world is a, is a thief that wants to steal what you have placed inside of us. And this world wants to make us slaves, slaves to wanting approval, Lord, slaves to needing acceptance and validation from other people. But God, I, I pray, Lord, that you will just set us free, that we can find freedom in the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.